Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. I am so excited that we're joined today by Jennifer Kapahi. She's the co-founder of Tristique. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hi, thank you. Um, so happy to be here. How are you? Doing? Oh, we're so happy to have you, Jen. It's awesome that you can make time for us. Um, I know you're very busy now. Not only are you the co-founder and entrepreneur of a brand, but you're also a new mom. And we appreciate the time you're giving us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm very happy to uh, chat with you and also just talk all things business and real life. <laughs> <laughs> So on that note, <laughs> yeah, our listeners um, really appreciate how we can pull the curtain back, uh, not only on our business, but our like career experiences, our personal experiences, moving through our careers. Um, and I thought it'd be a cool place to start with the theme of first jobs. Um, so my first job, I was like an assistant, you know, camp counselor, and then I had a long and fruitful career as a babysitter. I guess starting when I was around 13. Um, what was your first job? Um, my very first job was actually working on my family's organic farm. So I started working there when I was around eight years old um, in the summertime, um, every day, all day. Um, and I remember working there with my parents as well as my two younger brothers. And we started off with just the typical field work. Um, so there's no, it was, it was sort of being like a glorified gardener of sorts. Um, and then little by little, the weeding um, turned into more of um, harvesting. And we also started growing flowers. So we began to do cut flowers. And I really enjoyed like arranging and um, creating these like beautiful collections of um bouquets and then we actually started a little farm stand on the side of the road where we did cut flowers as well as um, watermelons and that was our very first foray into retail and customers and just dealing with people in general. Um, eventually of course that turned into like a much bigger retail operation and uh, farm where it is today and my, my parents and my one of my brothers still actually work on the farm and run that operation. But um, I continued to do that until as one of my many jobs all the way up until I graduated from high school. So do you remember how old you were when you were interacting with customers selling watermelons at the farm stand? I don't remember when we launched that little side stand, but it was very young. I mean, it was like nine or 10 or something like this. I mean, I would like assist my mom, of course. Um, in terms of like the real like farm stand when it launched, I was probably a little bit older, maybe 11 or 12, um, where I was doing like more of a cash register and dealing with customers. And I remember like the most challenging part about that was actually doing customer service. You know, if someone wasn't happy or complained about pricing, um, there's sort of like this weird relationship that Americans have with food in general, where we've been trained actually to pay much less than it costs to make food. Um, and that's just the way it is. A lot of our food is imported from other countries. Um, but it's rare that uh, farms actually survive as long as my family's farm, because um, most of them have to sell and go out of business due to the fact that it doesn't even pay their overhead, you know, in order to mm. be able to grow the crops. So it's a challenging. So do you, 
Do you mm-hmm. remember like what you would say to somebody who um, was an unhappy customer or like, or at least like how you treated them? Um, I remember at first being very nervous because sometimes people got very angry, but I, what I learned quickly learned was that all customers appreciated the story behind the product. And the more mm-hmm. I could share with them and educate them about the process for example, of growing a tomato, which is super complicated and very labor intensive, the more they appreciated it, whether or not they decided to come back and purchase again, they still left much happier and um, clearer in terms of the reason and the rationale behind, you know, the way a product was merchandised or the way a product was sold or how much it was sold for. Um, so I think the, the, the most important lesson there was really about being honest, authentic, and really not compromising, but being able to share that story in a way that was understandable. Is that something you learned from your mom or your dad and how they um, talked about their products? Yeah, definitely from my mom. My mom is like a, she's a marketing genius, but she doesn't know it. She definitely never (laughs) practiced it or went to school for it. But um, she, she's kind of, she always, I think really where it comes from, the only reason why you end up being good at this type of a job is passion. Like when you're really passionate about something, you're able to tell the story really clearly. Um, and I find that very consistently the more and more, um, you know, I meet other entrepreneurs and other founders, um, no matter what it is they're selling or sharing or offering a service for or what have you, they're always very passionate about what they're doing, probably because like, it's just so hard and you have to have passion in order to go anywhere. But second of all, it really allowed them to, I don't know, like be a better, be better at, you know, their, their message, their story, their, their customer service. And all in all, even by the end of the day, if it's not something that, you know, I ended up being interested in or wanting to purchase from them or what have you, I still always appreciate that of people. You have um, a really distinctive work ethic. Um, so you, you know, like you said, you started working at eight years old. Um, but you told me that in college you had four jobs on top of going to school, on top of playing soccer. Um, mm-hmm. Why? You know, what what is inside of you that keeps keeps pushing you towards this, like you know, high octane work ethic? Um, I think it's just how I was raised. My dad is Asian, and um, I think I, from every other Asian or mixed the Asian uh, person I've ever come across, we all sort of like smile and nod. It's sort of this like mutual (laughs) understanding that like, you know, you suffer as like a young person. Your parents never tell you you do a good job. Nothing you do is good. Um, You just, you sort of have this very grand expectation to be better than the best and to work extremely hard. Um, And I don't want to say like nothing is good enough because my parents definitely always told me that they were proud of me and that they loved me and all those types of things. So it's not like a woe is me story, but it's more like they set the bar very, very, very high. um, And there's not really any room for being subpar. Like that's just in general with your grades, with anything and everything that you do in your life, um, how you treat, you know, elders, how you, what you do when you go to someone's house and they invite you for dinner. Um, it's sort of like your, your family values, I guess, if you will. 
Um, and that just ends up translating to your professional life because it's really the thing that occupies most of your time, you know, as an adult. Um, and of course, the first way you become an adult is like leaving home and, you know, going to school and being on your own and having to pay your own bills, or at least I had to pay my own bills. And, and you know, if I wanted extra spending money for clothes or school supplies or trips, I could never afford spring break or any of those things. But, you know, it just, it, it didn't even cross my mind that it was like an option not to have a job. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It just ended up translating to four jobs because that's what fit into my schedule and that's how I could make the most money. Um, and so I was always like very, you know, interested in keeping busy and making sure that I could do all the things that I wanted to do. Um, and the only way to do those things is typically if you have enough fun. <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, you have a, a tiny, adorable baby boy. And if we fast forward to when he's, you know, I don't know, 18 years from now and going to school, um, do you think you're going to be the parent who um, helps him pay his way and pay for spring break? Or do you think that you've learned so much from earning on your own at that age that you wouldn't want to deny him that experience? Oh, that's a really tough question. My husband and I just... I know. And I'm, making, I'm, <laughs> I'm asking you to like make a, a lot of assumptions about your parenting in 18 years. But like, what's your gut tell you now? Um... Uh, it's so hard to say, and I don't know what I will ultimately end up doing, but I think life is really, really hard, and I love my son very much. <laughs> I don't want him to suffer like how I suffered. I really like, I think it's very, very hard in general to make a living. I really think it's very hard to be an entrepreneur. Um, I want him to be happy and to be healthy, and I want him to be a good person, and I want him to work hard. But I want him to also enjoy life, and who knows mm-hmm. what his talents or skills will end up being. But if I can pay for his spring break, you know, like I'm, and he still has a summer job after or before or what have you. I think there's like a fine balance, but I'm more than willing to help him if I'm able to more than you know my parents were able to help me from that perspective. Um, I know I put you on the spot, but, you know, I think about this stuff because there's um, incredible mm-hmm. dignity in doing things yourself, right? Um, yep. You, you know, you learn about yourself in a different way when you have to do something all by yourself versus when people do things for you. Um, but it doesn't mean that it was it easy or pleasant. Or, <laughs> <laughs> right. And it probably really sunk, you know, when your friends could yeah. do things that you couldn't do um, and... Um, you know, I, I think, you know, at least in this part of the country, we live around some people who have a lot of money and then we live around some people who don't. Right. And mm-hmm. um, it's hard to be, um, you know, on one side of that fence, you know, and have friends, you know, who are super close to you and yeah, everything away, except, like, you know, except financially. Yeah, I agree. I think I was very naive when I was young. I didn't really know any better. And so I didn't really... I wasn't really affected by it. Like I, I never remember feeling bad. I just remember being very matter of fact about it. Like, yeah, of course I can't afford spring break. No, no big deal. I got to go home and I'm going to work. Like <laughs> it didn't even like cross my mind that there was like the option to have like a very wealthy mom or dad right. who was going to give me $5,000 for a trip. Like it just didn't even like come in my mind. So I guess I ended up being okay. Now that I'm older and like wiser, <laughs> I think looking back, I'm like, Oh, poor me, you know, but back then I didn't feel that way at all. I was like, whatever, like I'm going to go home and I'm going to work and I'm going to make, you know, whatever money and I'm going to come back and I'm going to be able to buy those cute new sandals or like 
Right. That really like amazing new prom dress. Or, well, I guess you don't go to prom in college. It's more like semi-formal or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's, um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about dress. Um, mm-hmm. So what, no matter where it's going to come from, whether it's, you know, the baby's having a moment or work, you know, is difficult or you're shoving too many, too many tasks into a short amount of time or, you know, whatever it is. Um, how do you deal with all that hard stuff um, in your head? Um, usually I laugh. The harder something is and the more painful it is, the more I laugh about it. I have literally no clue how I developed that sense of humor, but like, I think by the end of the day, like the fact that I'm, you know, in beauty and not um, a brain surgeon, I think it keeps me (laughs) feeling lighthearted about what I do Mm -hmm. on a daily basis because it's really not that serious by the end of the day. Um, But to deal with like all of this stress and we really have like a tremendous, tremendous amount of it, um, tremendous amount of risk, tremendous amount of stress. I like truly always go back to my exercise roots. And I think it was because I, you know, grew up playing soccer and I was a sporty girl and um, all the things that you learn when you play sports with a team is like so applicable to real life and having a team in a professional setting. Um, And when you're the team captain, like your job is not to let the stress get to you because you still are in the game, like literally in the game, you can't just leave the game. So you have to just sort of like grin and bear it and do the best that you can every day, all day. Um, but I always exercise because it really like takes away um, the stress and the endorphins are like super addicting and I feel calm and clear headed. And I always go back to sort of like my problem solving organizational skills. And I'm just like, okay, like what are my options? A, B, and C. And like, which one am I going to choose? And like, that's it. <laughs> Very matter of fact about it. But the exercise definitely clears my head in order to get there. You mentioned organizational skills. Um, I'm curious, as someone who's um, an entrepreneur and a new mom, mm-hmm. um, I guess, like, what is a day in your life? Like, you know, when does it start? What's, when does it end? And how do you fit in the stuff in between? Um, well, typically, it starts as soon as I open my eyes, I mean, it depends. Like my son is like on a pretty good sleep schedule, but you know, sometimes he wakes up at 6am and sometimes he wakes up at 6.45 and sometimes he wakes up at seven. So it really just depends on when he gets up, I get up. Um, the other day he woke up at 5.30. So that wasn't too fun. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, he gets up, I hear him. Um, I check my phone like one second after I open my eyes, I look through my all of my emails before I get out of bed, before I live do anything, um, which is probably really bad. And then um, I answer anything like super, super urgent. And then I brush my teeth. And then I usually put on my workout clothes and I go say good morning to him and we play together for 15 or 20 minutes. And then I do a workout, um, typically at least three days a week. Um, and you know, then I quickly do my shower and get ready for work. I do my Tristique five minute face, um, while I'm waiting for my (laughs) Uber and then I'm out the door and I go to the office or a meeting or, you know, whatever I have in the morning. Typically I do like a lot of morning meetings now. I go right from my house to the meeting and then I am in the office and I'm literally in back to back conference calls, meetings, um, team brainstorms, um, 
from the second I walk into the office after my morning out of the office meeting, which is usually like 10. And then I stay in the office now these days until around 5.30. And then I go home and I spend, you know, a good hour with him before bed, reading or playing or taking a walk or doing some kind of like activity. And I always do the bedtime routine with him. So I do like his bath time or my husband will do the bath time and then I'll do the bottle. And we sort of like snuggle together and we have like this great hour and a half. And then I put him to bed at 7.30 and I go back to work. Um, I typically like eat and have conference calls and work at the same time. It's like really, really bad. Um, I definitely don't have any me time at night and I work typically until around 11 or 12. So from 7.30 when he goes to bed at night to 11 or 12, you are not hanging out watching um, Below Deck on Bravo the way that I am. You are, like, zooming through emails, making things happen, you're on calls. <laughs> I literally, like, I have, it's so embarrassing how little I know of pop culture. Like, if it wasn't for the scam that I occasionally get to scan through on my Uber ride to work when I'm not putting on my five-minute face or not taking a conference call, I would know literally nothing that happens in the world. It's, like, really embarrassing. Um, I have sort of like this tendency to like have complete and utter focus on whatever it is that I'm doing, which is now these days my work. And so I, I don't even like, I, I don't even know what's on TV. Like I don't actually, I really truly could not even turn my TV on. I, I think there's a button in my closet that I have to press before <laughs> the screen comes down. It's some kind of newfangled projector thing but like if my husband isn't home and he literally isn't there to like make it work there would be absolutely no way I would be able to turn it on so that's like extremely embarrassing but <laughs> that's how little I watch television um and do you feel like this um is sustainable for you like with your no, you know with no, the way that you laugh no, through shots and no. stuff? can you keep doing this no definitely not I plan to do this for however many years I need to, um, to get the company to very solid, um, you know, profitable, comfortable, um, well-supported situation. And then I plan to add in a little bit more flexibility and personal life back into my life. Um, I tend to see things like very realistically, like you don't build a company overnight and like, I don't expect to get this back in like six months. Um, but I, you know, am able to take those breaths of fresh air. Like I'm able to make a morning meeting, whatever time I can make a morning meeting, I'm able to exercise and I'm able to spend time with my family. So as long as I have what I would consider my essential, I can basically do 17, 20 hour days. Like that's no problem for me. Um, I do know whatever the future is that there will be an eventual future that I will have to shift gears again, dial it down, take a bit of a break, make sure that I have, you know, I don't have to work like that all the time. And like my friends are very important to me and like, you know, making sure that I'm a good friend and supporting them and spending time with my extended family and my parents and my brothers and all those things. And it's in, it's important to live life and not forget that we're here for a very short time. So I keep that always in the back of my mind, but, um, you know, I was given a tremendous opportunity to run this company and to basically like, you know, go for my dreams. And it's, 
you somehow get that opportunity in your life. Like you just don't throw that out the door, the window. You just, <laughs> you hold on to it and you try your best and you just keep perspective about the future. And this is so incredible. Um, I really appreciate your wisdom and your honesty. It's so cool to hear about, um, you know, your work ethic, how you um, feel so grateful for this opportunity and how valuable it is to you. Um, it's, it's beautiful to hear. Thank you so much for sharing all this wisdom with us today. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for asking. I don't know. It's just like, I don't even know where this comes from. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're making it work. I have one really fault. I'm definitely very truthful. I'm like, you ask me something, I'll definitely tell you. It's like for bad and for good. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.